Well, good morning. I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Um, For those of you I haven't met, my name is Jonathan Hicks, and some of you know that my family and I moved up from Dallas, Texas this summer, and so we were celebrating our first Thanksgiving in Minnesota. We had some family, my parents um, in from Texas, my sister and her husband um, in from Texas for their first Minnesota visit. Um, Sadly, no no freak Thanksgiving blizzard for them to experience just some nice, beautiful, cool weather for us. So hope you had a good time. Well, as I said, we moved up from Texas this past summer. And as we moved, uh, we had a few friends in Texas that gave us a few going away gifts. And one of those friends, she actually is from Edina and now living in Dallas. And she gave us two things that have come to be kind of a pretty useful gifts for us. The first was Minnesota State Fair tickets. Um, And so we got to enjoy all the fried food that we never knew that we needed um, and uh, just experience that kind of people-watching mecca that is the State Fair. And the second uh, was a book, and it's not a book about how to survive winter or all the beautiful places to go outside and hike in Minnesota. It's a book that some of you might have seen. It's called The History of Heartbreak, 100 Events That Tortured Minnesota (laughs) Sports Fans. Has anybody, anybody been given this gift? Maybe by a family member from Wisconsin that, that was trying to... I do have to say, I didn't say this in the first service, but the, the Gophers beat the Badgers yesterday. No, we got some happy folks. And the, the Vikings beat the Packers last week. First time that's happened in, a week, in the same week ever, I think. I'm, I, somebody told me, I fact-checked me if that's true. So I'm just trying to cur- curry favor with you right now. But that's, uh, that's what I've heard. Well, I, as I got this book, I thought, do I even want to open this book? Can I be cursed just by holding it? But I realized that part of my cultural immersion to life in Minnesota was to know the stories of this place. And part of my spiritual preparation as your, one of your pastors is to know the pains that have, that have sunk deep into your souls. So I, so I got into it. And, I, and the author describes the emotional roller coaster of sports fandom up here. And some of you are like, I want off of this roller coaster. I've been on it far too long. Uh, but the author who wrote this book, his name is Dan Winnesota. Um, I'm not making this up. That's his name, Winnesota. It's like if you combined win, Minnesota, win, when is this going to happen? That's his name. And what I love in the intro is he said that this is not meant to be a a torturous book. It's meant to be a book about hope. And I know that we're talking about the Vikings, but yes, it's meant to be a book about hope. And he says, what's going to pull us through disappointment is hope that next season is going to be different and that next season is going to be better. Well, whether we're talking about sports teams or more important things like our country, our careers, our friends, our church, our families, there are things that we all long to see change in our world and in our lives, right? And we're left to ask, well, will it, will it happen? Will our hopes come true? And if so, when? Because I just don't think I can keep on waiting. And, though, and for those of you who feel like you're in that season of waiting right now, how do I live in this in-between? when and how our our hopes will be answered. Those are questions that God's people have been asking for thousands of years. They've been living in this time, as Carrie talked about, between when the promises of God find their fulfillment. 
And Advent is this perfect season to address that, that it's meant for this. It's as we enter into this first Sunday of Advent, we have four weeks leading up to Christmas in our celebration. And maybe some of you are feeling like I'm feeling, like some of our pastors and worship leaders are feeling a little liturgical whiplash. You're like, we were in Daniel last week and then we had Thanksgiving and now it's Advent. It's hard to keep up a little bit. But the reason we have this four week season is so that when we get to Christmas, we didn't, Jesus doesn't get lost and all of the hustle and bustle of traditions and gifts and events and all that. It's so that we remember why we celebrate Jesus coming at Christmas. So as we enter this season of longing and waiting in Advent, we, re, we enter into this story of scripture where God's people were waiting on a Messiah, their promised King to come. As we enter the season of Advent, we bring our hopes and fears that we have in in the here and now, where we live in our world, the things that we long to see happen, and we bring these to God. And it's a time also that we prepare our hearts to remember that, yes, Jesus has come, but friends, he is coming again as well. And we look ahead to his second coming. Well, especially maybe even in the last couple years that we've been living in, these hopes and longings of Advent maybe are all the more palpable to us. Uh, Last year, we weren't asking the question, uh, when is our world gonna get back to normal anymore? Um, This year, that question about normal, normal feels like the exit that was 100 miles back on the highway and there's no U-turn anywhere up ahead and we're never getting back to it. It's just kind of like normal is what we have at this moment. We don't really know when anything else is gonna happen and transpire. But maybe the last two years have left us a bit more, um, more shaken about what the future holds, a bit more in need of the reminders of hope um, that Jesus can bring to us. And so this Advent sermon series that we're gonna walk into is called Songs of the Season, as, as Carrie mentioned earlier. And we're gonna take some of our favorite Christmas carols and use them as a lens for showing what it means that Jesus has come and as a way of seeing how Jesus meets our deepest longings in this season. For many people I know listening to um, and maybe especially singing Christmas carols and Christmas music is one of your favorite times of the year. Maybe you've already fought with a family member about when it was okay to turn on the Christmas music mix around the house. Um, I'm a purist. I, I don't like that to happen before Thanksgiving, but this year preaching the first Sunday of Advent, that's kind of had to be modified a little bit. Singing is not something that we do in public a lot as adults, is it? We might sing at a concert. Um, sometimes you don't want the people around you singing quite as much as they do. Maybe, maybe you sing alone in your car. Maybe, maybe you look around at the office when it's somebody's birthday and you realize somebody has to start this, the happy birthday singing. It's that dreaded moment. But singing is one of those integral practices to our life as Christians. It might feel a little unusual for adults to gather together to sing, but there's an important reason that we do it. And it's because we're deeply formed in the truths that we sing about. It helps us to know even more deeply what it is that we sing and what it is that we believe. During COVID, I've had friends tell me that one of the ways that they've kind of coped or responded when things were really difficult was to turn on Christmas music, whether it was December or November or July, whenever it was, Christmas music was a way of being filled with hope at a time when life didn't feel like it had a lot of that. 
And again, I, I, it's a funny thing, but science actually backs up that this is a really good idea of something to do. Um, that when we engage our senses of smell or sound, and uh, it triggers memories that actually engage our whole brain. It's a lot different than when we just hear the truths when we actually hear them and sing them and experience them. That maybe when you hear a Christmas carol, it transports you back to a time when you were with your mom or grandma making Christmas cookies before, leading up to, to the days before Christmas. Or maybe it transports you to singing at a Christmas Eve candlelight service. And you remember in those moments, the awe and wonder that Jesus has come for you and that God truly loves you. It's, it's not that, uh, so, so we sing these truths that we remember most about who God is and what he's done. So we sang just a few moments ago, um, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. That's the, the carol that we'll look at a little bit more today. It's actually the oldest Christmas carol that we sing. It dates all the way back to the 800s. Um, and uh, we don't sing it in its original form because it was originally written in Latin. I don't know if we have any, any uh, Latin singers out there. Uh, uh, we don't need to hear it if you are, but that, it's, uh, it'd be good if, it, if there are. But a pastor named John Michael Neal in the mid 1800s, in his spare time, he liked to translate old Latin hymns into English. Um, that may not be your idea of a good time, but be glad that it was his because we have this song as a result. And back in the dark ages when this was written, people, uh, very few people could read and very few people had access to scripture. And so one of the ways that people learned the truths of scripture was that they sang songs about who Jesus was. And so each verse, there originally were seven verses uh, in this hymn, each verse gave a different Old Testament title to who Jesus was. You can see some of these up on the screen. And you would sing one verse of this carol on each day in the lead up to Christmas. So from December 17th to December 23rd, and you'll see that they actually ended with Emmanuel, what we typically sing as the first verse of this song. Why, why hide the best you know, part? So I guess it, some people like to finish, some people like it to start, whatever. So um, that's how they did it. Well, you don't have to be a musical expert to pick up that the tune of this song, it's kind of haunting, right? It has a sadness to it. And there's a reason for that. It was actually music that Neil found that was 15th century French funeral uh, hymn. It was a 15th century French funeral hymn. And so he took this kind of haunting music and he paired it with these old words. And we find this hymn that we now still sing today. It's not a song about Jesus in the manger. It's not a nativity scene, nativity carol. This song is a prayer. It's a prayer that reflects the needs of both God's ancient people and of us today that we need Jesus to come. We need God to come and bring rescue for what's going on. And so what is it that we need God to come and do in our lives? Well, first, in that first verse, we hear the echoes of Israel's longing for Je before Jesus' birth. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the son of God appear. The story that we find of Israel in the Old Testament is that this, uh, in the Old Testament prophets, is that this was a wayward people. They were uh, ultimately taken out of the promised land that they were, were given and lived in, and they were put into exile. Maybe if you've been with us over the past four weeks, we've been in a, the first half of a series on the book of Daniel. And in that series, we've been hearing about 
Israel, um, God's people now living in Babylon. And one of the questions that hangs over them while they're in Babylon is this question of, are we ever going to get out of captivity? And if we're gonna, how are we ever going to get home? We're a people in the place that we weren't meant for. And ultimately what Israel needs is a rescuer. They need somebody to come who's gonna bring them out of captivity. We haven't experienced the same kind of exile. We've not been led away from our homeland in chains. But what we do experience, what is common to all people, is we have a captivity to sin that we experience. Captivity, exile, wilderness. It's how the Bible describes when we make someone or something in our lives, uh, we put it in the place of God, when something else becomes central instead of God in our life. And we live apart from God's blessing and beauty, we're in the midst of wilderness and we're in captivity to it. We can be captive to something without chains. This is something Petey talked about a couple of weeks ago. That's maybe it's even a more insidious form of captivity. Not when we're being coerced or forced into doing something, but when it kind of captures our heart and makes us want to take on the drumbeat, uh, as he said, the drumbeat of Babylon. Well, our cultural season of Christmas kind of does this in a way, doesn't it? It has trained us to place our hope and our longings in something that we can put a bow on for this year. That we're inundated with the message that what our lives really need is whatever that newest, whatever that best new thing is that we've been missing. That if only we can get our hands on that, if only we can have that, that's gonna give us the hope that we need this season. At least that is until next Christmas shopping season. We know it's not Amazon that we need to come to the rescue, but it's easy to focus our attention and longing on what can be delivered to us. Well, the invitation of this carol is that something better has come, that our savior, our redeemer, our God himself has come and entered our world and he will come again. So friends, how might Jesus this morning and this Advent season be calling your attention back to him? Maybe that might start for you with doing what Christians way back uh, in the dark ages did of taking a, a verse of this hymn and just reflecting on who it says that Jesus is to you today. As we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, we are, we are saying an SOS prayer. We're sending out this emergency ask that Jesus would come and set us free. And we're longing for him to bring the freedom to the captivity that we so often feel. Well, the next verse of O come, O come, Emmanuel um, is actually kind of my favorite words in this hymn, this carol. O come, thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death, death's dark shadows put to flight. I love that disperse the gloomy clouds of night language. Um, and, and I know in Minnesota, I've only tasted just a little bit. Um, I guess winter hasn't officially started and I know that it's a long way to go. Just wanna acknowledge that. But one of the things that we all experience and that we all can't help but talk about the week after daylight savings, right? Is how dark it is. We talk about getting up and going to work in the dark. 
We talk about coming home from work in the dark. We talk about how short the days get. And I think it's actually a beautiful thing that this time of year we're made, our hearts, even just by what we experience in the world, are made to long for the light. They're made to long for that light to come. And I think that's meant to remind us that this is a season about Jesus coming. Caught in the gloomy clouds of night, it sounds like the perfect way to describe what we've been experiencing in the past couple of years in our world. This gloomy clouds that hang over us, that, that cloud the way that we see the future and maybe even our present. How do we find hope that we can make it through and that light will break through in the midst of seasons like this? Well, one of the things that this carol does is it picks up on all kinds of Old Testament language. And one of the passages that probably it most closely follows is Isaiah 35. And so uh, I wanna read from Isaiah 35, one through four. It says, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus, it will burst into bloom and it will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. Strengthen the feeble hands, Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. That when God's people felt like they were in a desert or a parched land or a wilderness, he gave them this promise that a new day was coming. That what was barren would have life again. That what looked dead would would shine with his beauty again. And so for many of us, we might approach this Advent honestly saying prayers like we find in the verses of this song and like we see in these verses of scripture. Oh, come Lord Jesus, strengthen me right now. My my body feels weak. Steady my life because I feel tossed every which way. Would you come and bring peace because right now I feel anxious and overwhelmed at at what's going on in my life and in the world. Would you fill my heart with your peace and remind me of your coming? See, in a normal year, holidays can already feel like times of, that remind us of griefs or disappointments. They remind us of somebody who's not there. Maybe they remind us um, of, a, of, of the fact that this year didn't go how we wanted it to. Maybe they remind us of an unmet hope. And that after all that we've maybe experienced collectively over the last couple of years, it can feel like we've stretched past our breaking point when it comes to that. And as Melissa preached a few weeks ago, we might want in those moments for Jesus to come in with a parachute and pull us out. We might want him to come in and pluck us out of danger and to fix all of our problems and act like they might just go away instantly. But that's not what we're promised. We are promised though that Jesus is Emmanuel, that he's God with us. I love these words from theologian Alec Motier about what this means for Jesus to be our Emmanuel, our rescuer and redeemer. Jesus says, what is your problem? Give it to me. What is your need? I will meet it. What is your burden? Lay it on my shoulder. He bears it all. He pays it all. He does it all. He is the doer and we the recipients. We needed to be reminded that God is not cold to our pains. He has entered our world to rescue us from sin and darkness. And he has come that there might be light that would disperse the gloomy clouds that so often hang over us. Final thing, um, going back to Isaiah 35, that it closes with 
is a promise of how God is gonna make one day all that is broken whole. And the way he describes it in Isaiah 35 is, and a highway will be there and it will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be there. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those that the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake, will, will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. I hope you hear those hints of what we sing in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We get in a sense in Isaiah 35 at the end here, we get God's infrastructure bill. That's in the news these days. God's going to make a highway for his people protected from anything that might threaten a traveler of that day. Whether it's someone who means you harm, someone who might just keep you, get you off the road and off the path, whether it's a dangerous animal who might threaten to devour you, God promises his people a sure way. Now it's not a straight way. It's not that it's without its, its, uh, its zigs and zags, but God promises that ultimately he gives us his picture that our hope can be that we will be with him one day. And that picture of this future hope is meant to give us hope in how we live today. That the repeated word that pops up in Isaiah 35 is the word joy. And if you think about that refrain from O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that last refrain that we say at the end of every verse, rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. We sing rejoice, it's as, as an exhortation to ourselves and to each other. It's as if we're teaching ourselves as we sing how to respond with hope um, and to our longing of hope for today. That this is a song for those who are in the in-between, for those who might in this moment be experiencing more sorrow than joy, that as we experience those difficulties of life, as we experience the longing and the waiting more than the receiving of God's blessing, that we might pray together, O come, Emmanuel. And in the next breath that we might be reminded that we can rejoice because we know for certain that Emmanuel will come again, that Jesus, our Emmanuel has come so that we might rejoice and find our hope in him. I wanna invite the band to come up as we close this morning in prayer. Jesus, that is our prayer. That we lift up the, the, the prayer, come Lord Jesus, that we need you this day and every day. Lord, for those who are experiencing what feel like those gloomy clouds of night this morning, that they might know that the, the darkness will pass, that you are with them, that you love them that you have assured a safe and secure way for them in this future and that we might find our hope in you, our Emmanuel. In Jesus' name, amen.